Hey, I'm Ben Ramos, and I get the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor. We are a church all about the authentic power of God coupled with sound theology. Because God's given us his inerrant, infallible word, and in it, he calls us to be people who are filled by his Holy Spirit, people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and people who are led by his Holy Spirit. As a local congregation, God's called us to help people take steps in their relationship with Jesus, to see them rise from death to life and glory to glory. I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I truly pray and I hope that this message would be an encouragement to you and your life, that it would help you to recognize that the mission field is all around you and that it would help you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed. Good morning. Good morning, Rise Church. It's, uh, it is uh, such an honor to be with you this morning and uh, yeah, after hearing about you uh, so often through summer camp and uh, doing summer camp with you and your students every year. Um, so many great memories. It's, it's great to see some familiar faces and a lot of unfamiliar faces as well. Uh, I want to thank uh, your pastors, Ben and Alicia, who um, for giving me this opportunity to share with you this morning. Ben and Alicia are absolutely amazing people, and you are so blessed and, um, and have a great future because they're here with you. And I, you know, uh, just, just hearing you this morning... I'm already going off my, my, my notes here, but, uh, but you, you were talking about build, and uh, dude, um, I, you're going to have some problems because, I mean, seriously, I see this place is going to be too small, oh, yeah. and, and, I, and I hope that you guys catch that vision. Uh, God has that vision, and this place, this building's going to be too small. And so, um, and something else that you said, too, you talked about unity, and you talked about global unity. Church unity is, is, you can't do without it. And, uh, and corporate unity always requires personal sacrifice. It always does. And for whoever needs to hear that, um, I just want to encourage you, uh, whatever it is, because a lot of times, you know, we as people like to hold on to our things, don't we? And, and it keeps us from, from being united. And, and, and maybe that thing is pride. Maybe it's, it's something else. But I just want to encourage you, just leave that uh, with you this morning, that um, corporate unity requires personal sacrifice. Well, anyway, uh, for those who don't know, well, I think you do know now, uh, my name is Mike Boswell, and I'm uh, the lead pastor at The Journey, Foursquare Church in Boise. And actually, I think we're the only Foursquare Church in Boise right now. Um, I'm originally from a ridiculous city called San Francisco, uh, I was born and raised there and grew up there, went to college there. I thought I'd never leave there. In fact, I was talking to someone this morning. Uh, he was, I didn't think they let anyone out of the city, right? Uh, you know, but I, I love the city, um, but I'm thankful that God had other plans for me. Uh, so yes, I am a lifelong 49er fan. And, uh, and I, some of you are excited about that, yeah. Uh, and, I, uh, and I still love my home city that has completely lost her way. Um, I found Jesus there. Uh, actually, Jesus found me there. And uh, in fact, I remember this one day while I was at Bible College uh, near Santa Cruz, California. We had students from all over the country and, and different parts of the world that, that attended there. And some of the students, when they found out I was from San Francisco, they said, seriously, we didn't think there were any Christians in San Francisco. 
And I mean, that was what they, you know, I wasn't sure if I should take that as a compliment or, uh, or be offended by that, but I'm thinking, oh, your God is a little bit too small. Anyway, uh, so the message this morning, uh, we're going to jump into uh, the book of Genesis and look at a guy named Joseph whose life is characterized by having some very dark nights and crazy dreams. Okay, Uh, the dark nights that he experienced seem to completely contradict some of the crazy dreams that of grandeur and greatness that he apparently received from God. Literal dreams of him in a place of authority and leadership, where where even his own brothers and parents bowed down to him. Right, and talk about a crazy dream dream since his own brothers, right? They were all older than him and they didn't even like him. Okay, uh, And not just that, but everything he, he be, began to experience in life told a different story, a story of darkness, pain, confusion, despair, subjugation, fear, slavery, and imprisonment. You know, everyone has dark nights in life, uh, painful times that, that's, that seem to feel so dark and seem endless, times that, that strike fear into the soul, anxiety, oppression, or even worse, and everyone has dreams, whether it's you know, the, the sleepy dreams at night or, or God-given pictures of a hope that, that, that we have buried deep within our soul. And if you're here this morning, you know, because I, I don't know all of you, but if you're here this morning and maybe you're, you're exploring spiritual things, maybe you're not sure what you believe about God or Jesus or the Bible, I just want to say I am so glad you're here. I know Pastor Ben's glad, glad that you're here. And, and maybe you've had a hard time believing because of all the pain that you see in this world or all the pain that you've felt in your life. Uh, you know, I want you to know that I completely understand, and, and, and God understands, and it's, and it's my hope that, that this talk will give you hope and clear, clarity. Because one of the um, biggest obstacles to faith that people have is why God allows pain and suffering in this world. So the title of the talk today, and I hope you're not offended by it, is Where the H dot 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 is God, okay? Now that H could stand for whatever you want it to stand for, okay? It could stand for heck, it could stand for hugs, it could stand for hallelujah, okay? Whatever you want to put in there, that's up to you. But sometimes, in all honesty, hell seems like the right word in that sentence, okay? Have you ever asked or questioned some, you know, asked that question or, or something like that? Like, where is God right now? Where is he right now? You know, things are going bad in, in life or in this world, and you ask, where is God we see another mass shooting in the news, and we ask, where is God? Uh, you get fired from a job. Where is God? You fight with your spouse again, or you see the, the world going crazy because of COVID or racism or politics, and you're like, where's God in all of this? Where is he? Your favorite team loses again, right? <laughs> Gas prices go up, and you hit there's seven red lights in a row, and you're like, where's God, right? And if you were to read Genesis 37... You'd see Joseph's brothers who hated Joseph's guts. They stripped him of his richly ornamented 49ers jacket. Okay. They throw him into a pit and they sell him as a slave to a group of traveling merchants headed to Egypt. Okay. Nice guys. And so we're going to begin this morning with Genesis 39. We're skipping 38 because chapter 38 actually has nothing to do with Joseph. Rather, it focuses on Judah, one of uh, Joseph's older brothers who accidentally slept with his daughter-in-law, given her twin boys. And so you thought your family had issues. Um, you know, Netflix would make billions off of Genesis. Anyway, so uh, if you want, you can, I'm reading the New Living Translation, or you can follow on the screen. Uh, let's read. 
When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased, purchased, purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. So apparently Joseph couldn't make tacos or something, okay? So, so other than Joseph's inability to cook, Potiphar scored himself a deal of a slave, right? He didn't just, Joseph didn't just scrub floors and clean the outhouse, man. He took the pressure of Potiphar's entire estate off his shoulders at no extra cost, okay? Like, that's like a, talk about a garage sale find for, for Potiphar, man. This is like the deal, okay? And the first thing I want to look at this morning is Joseph's life-changing journey to Egypt, which by the way, scripture says very little about. Yet when we compare Joseph's life between chapter 37 and chapter 39, we find that quite a bit has changed as a result of that journey, a journey that took about 30, maybe 40 days for him to get from where he was at down to Egypt. It was a journey that, that takes sink or swim to the whole new level. I mean, think about it. Joseph was just 17 years old at the time. He was just a kid. He grew up in a wealthy home with a dad who favored him. He was like a mama's boy, right? Daddy's boy. Um, he got everything he wanted. He had dreams of success, literal dreams of, of leadership and ruling. And in the New York minute, Joseph was completely stripped of everything. When, when his brothers saw him coming from a long distance to check up on them, okay, they didn't offer him a popsicle, Right? They, they didn't say, hey, can I make you a burrito? I mean, you travel a long way. Uh, they wanted to figure out how to kill him and get away with it. Ten older brothers against one. Joseph didn't stand a chance when he was thrown into that pit and then slow, uh, sold as a slave. And so if you want to follow along, there's this notes. You can fill in the blank if you like doing that, or you can doodle to keep yourself awake. Whatever you want to do, um, it's up to you. So let's look at a life-changing journey, all right? The first point here is Joseph was completely stripped of everything. Okay, little story. On the night before I got married, our wedding day, the guys that I asked to stand with me as groomsmen came by my apartment to hang out with me. But they, have an, they had an evil plan up their dirty little sleeves, okay? <laughs> I had a suspicion something was going down. So when four of them made a move for me, man, I put up a fight. Man, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna let their evil plan succeed. And then six foot five, 275 pound Greg showed up and I was done for Okay, they stripped me down to my undies. They put a black dress on me, high heels, complete with a wig and red lipstick. And they made me walk around Santa Cruz like that. Okay, I even had to buy some unmentionables at a grocery store. It was kind of humiliating, at least back then. Now it might be a little bit normal, but, uh, but I figured... I figured I deserved it because I did the same kind of things to my friends when they were getting married. Anyway... But that was nothing compared to what happened to Joseph. Absolutely nothing. When his brothers stripped him of his richly ornamented coat, they weren't going to dress him like a girl and take him shopping, okay? And when they stripped him of his coat, that wasn't the only thing they stripped him of that day. 
And something about being stripped, things are taken from you that you don't ever want taken from you. They're taken against your will. They're things that, that you value, things that matter to you, people, plans, possessions, dignity, things within which you wrap your whole identity, like even his coat, right? It reminded him and everyone else around him that he was a favorite son. And in the, a moment, Joseph was stripped of everything that he grew to know and love. He was stripped of his dreams. He was stripped of his family and especially his dad, who he loved very much. He was stripped of freedom. He was stripped of, of blessing and any thought of future inheritance. He was stripped of his entire life. In fact, during his, that journey as a slave, I have no doubt that Joseph probably wished that his brothers had killed him. It was intense. And imagine the fear that gripped his young, his young mind as he was chained up, sold, and sent away for good with this caravan of crazies. Would they hurt him? Would they kill him? Would they turn him into a eunuch? Oh God, please no, right? Would, they ever, would he ever see his mom or dad again? He couldn't even say goodbye. So he went from son to slave, from living as dad's favorite to becoming a piece of property whose only value was whatever the slave traders could get for him on the open market. You could imagine him asking himself, where the H is God? God, where are you? God, do you see what's happening to me? Do you know, don't you see how afraid I am? If you're so good, then why is this happening to me? Here's the next point. Joseph is stripped of control, which would be scary for anyone, right? You know, we all feel like we, you know, we all like to feel like we can have, we can call the shots in life. You know, you may not know this, but, but I've, I've had to drastically change my diet after my heart attack in 2017, okay? And that's a whole other story in itself that I don't have time to share. But in changing my diet, do you know what I missed more um, than melted cheese on a pizza? Because I can't have that anymore. Do you know what I missed more than a thick, juicy, medium-rare rare tri-tip steak? Because I can't have that anymore either. Do you know what I miss more than a bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream making me smile with every bite? Because I can't have that anymore either. I miss the freedom to choose what I want to eat when I want to eat it. I miss having the, that control over, over that part of my life. Yesterday, I had the, the, just the, the blessing of having lunch with Ben and Alicia, and uh, we went to Texas Roadhouse. They had salmon and ribs. I had rabbit food. A salad, okay, with some chicken sprinkled on top. But anyway, but Joseph was, uh, was stripped of having any sort of control in his life or choice. He had zero say in anything. He had no control over where he was going, what they would do uh, with him or to him. The Ishmaelites, the, these slave traders, they weren't friendly to descendants of Isaac. Isaac was Joseph's grandfather. See, Ishmael, whose descendants are the Ishmaelites, and Isaac which was Joseph's grandfather, were stepbrothers. Long story short, Ishmael was rejected by his dad, Abraham, and basically disowned and sent away to figure out life on his, on his own. Talk about having daddy issues, right? Ishmael had him, and he hated his stepbrother, Isaac. 
for it. And scripture says that as a result, he and his descendants lived in hostility with Isaac and his descendants. They didn't like each other. And so not only was Joseph now their property that they were going to sell, but no doubt they treated him with hostility on their way to Egypt, right? Uh-oh, is little Joey going to cry, right? Get another wedgie, right? Whatever. He had no choice of who, he, who was in his life now, no control where he was going and no control over how they treated him. Has anyone ever felt that way at times? Yeah. Talk about feeling trapped. He didn't have a choice of how he could behave towards them because he feared what they might do to him. If he was bullied or hit or ridiculed, he had to restrain himself, right? And remain silent and just take it. He had no control over his dreams or making those happen. And when we lose that kind of control, it's easy to question where God is. And I have no doubt that there are several in this room who feel like maybe you've been stripped in life. Maybe not to the degree that Joseph was stripped, maybe worse, but God knows your pain. And he was there when it happened and he felt every bit of it and he wants to heal you and turn that pain that you've suffered into something that will bless you and others. Joseph's life changed that day in more ways than one. He was stripped, when he was stripped of his robe and control and everything he had, he was also stripped, next point here, of his pride. It's hard to be proud when you're a slave and nobody's got your back, right? Not even your own family. Pride is gone. Prior to this, he was an arrogant punk of a kid. He was. You read it. He was a prideful little snot. Joseph, he was never described as a humble kid. He was never described as a man after God's own heart like King David was. In fact, from the day of Joseph's birth up to this point, God isn't even mentioned as being part of his life. There's no record that he sought God or even prayed. Joseph doesn't even give God credit for his crazy dreams. God was not part of his life. It's not until verse 2 of chapter 39 that scripture says, the Lord was with Joseph. It's not until Joseph arrives in Egypt and is living in Potiphar's house as a slave that God's presence is described as being with Joseph. So think about it. Before being sold, life was good and God isn't mentioned. A month later, life is hell and now God is with him. Why is that? Why, why does God suddenly enter his life? I think it's because he was stripped of his pride. The breaking in his life had finally begun. I mean, who here likes to hang out with people who are full of themselves? No, not many, right? It's no different with God. Pride pushes God away. But getting captured, stripped, and sold into slavery has a funny way of breaking a person's pride. Let's move on. Let's look at God's presence in our lives. Okay, here, here, here's the next point here. God shows up when he's truly invited. Back to our wedding. When my wife and I got married, we were told that, that of the people we invite, the going rate was about 50% would come and 50% would turn down invitation. And so between friends and family and me attending a large church, we had a, a big pool of people that we could invite. And so we thought, 50%? Okay, well, let's invite 300, thinking that 150 would show up. All 300 RSVP, okay? I wasn't sure if they loved us or they were excited about free alcohol. Um, but, but it would be a disappointment because we didn't have alcohol, <laughs> all right? So anyway, but 
there was a whole list of people we didn't invite because we couldn't afford to invite them. And the church building we were getting married in wasn't big enough either. And we felt so bad about this huge list of people that didn't make the top 300, okay? Friends, we chose not to invite. And it's like, ouch, right? If you choose not to invite someone. Thankfully, though, those that we didn't invite didn't crash the wedding, all right? Uh, likewise, there have been weddings and parties that I haven't been invited to. And if I'm not invited to, I'm not going to show up, right? Because why go if you're not wanted or if you're not thought about, right? It's no different with God in our lives. The people who rant about God not intervening when things go bad are often the same ones who do everything to keep God out of their lives when things are good, or at least not as bad. Ever notice that? Sometimes I, oh yeah, that's me, right? We want to live a life apart from God, but we throw a fit when he doesn't show up to save the day. Why should he? if he's not invited in the first place. And up until this point in Joseph's life, it's evident that, that he, he had never invited God to be part of his life. I'm sure he believed in God. Maybe he prayed before meals and even said, God bless you when people sneezed, you know? Maybe he, he spoke fluent Christianese, God is whatever, okay? But that's not the same as inviting God into your life. And suddenly in verse two, God is mentioned as being with Joseph in a special way, a way that caused Joseph to succeed. Could it be that in that month-long trip, that in Joseph's being stripped of everything, including his own self-sufficiency and pride, through this indescribable pain, that he finally looked up, cried out to God, and invited him in? I think it's very possible because the next point here is pain pushes us to cry out to God, All right? Now, pain can push us the other way too. But I don't think anyone ever cried out to God or found Jesus and got saved after winning the lottery. Right? And we don't like this very much, but so often it takes intense pain to push a stubborn, prideful human beings to cry out for the God who loves us so much. And I believe that it was during his all-expense-paid trip to Egypt that Joseph finally called out upon God. It may have been a rare time, maybe his very first time, but it was real. Intense suffering brings us to that point. It's a point of breaking from self-sufficiency to God dependence, from living by sight to finally giving faith a try, from trusting the things around you to turning your trust to the one who alone can rescue you and help. Many times it's simply because we've finally run out of options and we don't know what else to do. And these painful times are humbling. But brokenness is what it takes if we really want God to show up in our lives, if we really want his presence, if we really want his grace and his favor. So many people, including church people, think that they can choose to remain the same. Prideful, arrogant, hearts full of poison, bitterness, calling their own shots, and still experience the presence of God in their lives. Look what Proverbs says on the screen. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. That's God. And there are so many people who are far from God, Christians and non-Christians, church people and unchurched people, many who want answers, many who want a spiritual experience. They want to get closer to God. They want to hear God's voice, but they haven't. And this is the reason they are not broken. They haven't truly cried out. They're comfortable with the condition of their hearts and lives. 
And in our minds, you know, we have other options. Well, if this Jesus thing, this just doesn't work out the way I think it should, I'll try something else. If God doesn't show up, well, you know, I'm just kind of busy anyway. But it's not until we experience pain and the resulting brokenness that pushes us to cry out to God, truly inviting him, him in that he shows up. I want to share just a, a, an experience that I had. I've had many experiences as a pastor. But how, like in my mind, sometimes as a pastor, I have in my mind how things should go versus how they really go, right? Okay. In my mind, I picture a gourmet chocolate truffle, but I swallow a pound of chocolate laxatives, right? It's like... <laughs> I had my first experience as, oh my goodness, am I run, I'm running out of time. The kids are here. Go for it. Uh, let's pray and be dismissed. No, okay. Uh, so I had my first, first experience as, as a lead pastor in a small town in Oregon called Sisters, where I served in that role for eight years. Um, a year before what would be my final year there, our church was experiencing a sizable rift, okay? And it was a very, very painful, hey kids, Welcome. I just want to say you guys are awesome, and I'm so glad that you guys are in church today. So, so our church was experiencing this sizable rift. It was a painful one, it was, and it was a rift that was centered around a so-called revival that was happening on the East Coast. Long story short, there was a significant and influential group in our church of people who wanted to and tried to lead our church in that direction, okay? It was a, a direction ultimately I was not willing to go in. Leaders that had served, that, that I had served and served with for years seemed to be abandoning all caution and jumping headfirst into following the leader of that revival. I was told with such condescending conviction that I was quenching the spirit. I was told that if I didn't go in that direction, I would miss God and miss out on what God is doing. And I remember the fear and the pain the fear of people leaving the church, the fear of a church split, and above that, the fear of missing God. As a leader and as a person who loves God, I want to be where he is. I want to be part of what he's doing. I don't want to miss him. And so I took some time off that summer to seek God to really hear from him. And I remember being on my knees and I was literally weeping, weeping, I, feeling like my faith and, and, and everything it had become was, was being stripped completely off my bones. It was scary. It was excruciating. I'm not even exaggerating. But, in, but it was in that crying out that God's spirit spoke to me so clearly. It was so incredible to hear and so clear. He said, Mike, Mike, if you abide in me, you will never miss me. And he then led me that section in John 15 where Jesus talks about abiding in him like a branch abides in the grapevine. And in those moments where God responded to my intense crying out, I felt his closeness, his assurance, his incredible peace. It was like he set my faith on, on a solid rock. And in that moment, he, I knew that he was with me, that I was not missing him. And he began to reinforce in my heart and mind the stance that I had been taking in this very painful time in the life of our church. It was a moment and a season where God made his presence and his heart very clear to me. It was a moment that I needed and would ne I will never forget it. Take a look what James has to say on the screen. 
So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look at this. Come close to God. In other words, stop running. Come close to God. And God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and then he will lift you up in honor. God was waiting for this moment with Joseph, when Joseph would finally call out to him and cry out to him. Would Joseph either empty himself of pride or be emptied of it? And that's what happened on his journey. God showed up in a way that Joseph noticed, in a way that he had never experienced before. As we move on to this next point, I want us to notice something here on the screen. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Okay. So God is with, now with Joseph. His presence was evidenced in that Joseph succeeded and was blessed in everything he did. How many want that? Now, here's the kicker. Joseph was still a slave in Egypt, far from home, a place he did not want to be in, which is the next point here. God's presence doesn't automatically change our circumstances. Even if you're a stormtrooper like that guy. Okay. Now, wouldn't it be cool if his presence did instantly change our circumstances, right? I mean, what a great selling perk to get doubters to believe. Oh, wait, the church has already tried that gimmick. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I don't know. This is like bad news for some of you, right? Bad news Sunday, okay? This isn't something you want to hear. How many of us have cried out to God because we want him to change our circumstances? Or how many of us have been taught that when we call out to God, he will change our circumstances if we have enough faith? But you see, his presence doesn't automatically make things the way we want them. In fact, that rarely happens. So often we want God not to have his presence or his way, but to have our circumstances changed. We don't really want God. We want to get, we want what we can get from God. We call on him to make life easier and better to give us back our control, not to let God have control. God was unmistakably with Joseph and he succeeded as a slave. Wait, what? See, that's often what God does with us in our breaking process. He's with us through the suffering but he often doesn't lift us out of the suffering or that undesirable place that we're in, at least not right away. He has a bigger purpose in mind. He wants all of us. He wants to break us completely because only then can he truly rebuild us and use us. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in, maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you feel like a slave. Maybe you feel like you don't have control. You feel cornered and pressured. Maybe you feel like, you know, you have to serve under someone at work or in the home who behaves like a slave master. Maybe you feel trapped in your situation. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's, it's all the crazy COVID restrictions that don't seem to make any sense, right? Man, the lockdowns last year uh, almost caused this, caused this extrovert guy to lose his mind, all right? Okay. Maybe it's pain. And you wonder why God hasn't changed your, your situation. You wonder why God hasn't done anything to get you out of fill in the blank, whatever it is. 
And you say, where the H are you, God? Let Joseph's life give you courage and hope that the most important thing is God's presence with you. Okay, I'll say it again. The most important thing is God's presence with you, no matter where you're at. God hasn't forgotten you. He just has bigger plans for you than you have for you. It's about his presence and your surrender and your brokenness. If God had freed Joseph at that point, just because Joseph called out to God and now had God's presence, would Joseph at that point have been able to forgive his brothers? Not a chance. Would God at that point have been able to entrust the entire Egyptian kingdom into Joseph's care? Joseph would like to think so. Oh, uh, yeah? <laughs> but the answer is obvious. No stinking way. He wasn't ready for that. There was a greater work that needed to be done in Joseph, and the breaking had begun, but he still needed to be crushed. Breaking is the starting point of God's work. Crushing the poison out of our hearts is the goal. Joseph stands as a prime example of that. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on the freeway out of downtown Boise heading home, and as I drive up the ramp, I look off to the left, and I see this huge billboard that displays the current lottery jackpot, $209 million. And so I silently whisper to God, God, do you see what I'm seeing? That would make my financial situation a lot better. And I can use that money to build a new building for the journey uh, on our property. We can bless so many people. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Because God, you should be. And the response I get back is either total silence or nope, not thinking what you're thinking, Mike. You know, you just wish that God would get his act together sometimes, right? I fully understand that this talk totally contradicts what our culture and many churches teach us about God and how he should behave. Americans have been so conditioned to having things our way buying that new thing to make you feel better. You know, the, the God just wants me happy theology. How often do we go through a little bit of suffering, and almost done, by the way, or even a lot, and we cry out to God for God, but then it's like we demand that he change our circumstances immediately and give us the end blessing right now, right? Or hashtag walk away. <laughs> if you don't bless me now, God. It's like the teaching I've heard from some prosperity teachers. I've literally heard this. You tell God, I want my inheritance now. That's not biblical. Well, it is. It's a prodigal son attitude, okay? Even with the prodigal son, he needed to be broken to experience the favor of his father once again. God is a lover of our souls. He was a lover of Joseph's soul. He's a lover of your soul. He saw a big thing that needed to be done in Joseph and in his brothers, and he had a great destiny for Joseph and his descendants. But Joseph had to learn to trust God and submit to him in whatever circumstances life brought for however long. It's very possible, because God's been known to do this, that had Joseph whined and complained and demanded or believed in faith that God would free him instantly or in a month or whatever time, it's very possible that God would have done it. There are times when God relents because we resist him and we don't submit, and so he just gives us our own way. And some of us know what, we're ta what, it, what I'm talking about because I've been there. 
But if that had been the case, everything that God had wanted for Joseph would have been cut short. He would not have been second in command of Egypt. He would not have been able to bring redemption to his family. He would, not have, he would have missed out on his destiny. Even worse, he would not have known the intimacy that, that he had now with God. He would not have known his presence, his power, his goodness, or his favor. And there are times in our lives when God gives us our own way. But then what happens? Not only is God's great plan for us cut short, but when we finally do yield, it just lengthens the whole process. I mean, who likes to keep going around that same proverbial mountain, right? Why not just conquer this stupid thing with God? One more thing. Who here thinks that God was out to make Joseph fail or that God had it out for Joseph? We know the answer to that. Absolutely not. Yet there are many people who buy into the lie that says that because they're in a bind, God is out to get them or that God is setting them up for failure or pain because somehow God is against them or, you know, because things just don't change for me. You know, God is like that guy with a magnifying glass with an ant, right? (laughs) Just as it wasn't true for Joseph, so neither is it true for you or anyone else. You may be here this morning feeling hopeless, even angry at God because of your circumstances, thinking that for whatever reason, God wants you to fail or that he wants bad things to happen to you. I can't encourage you enough, retrain your thinking. He has the best in mind for you, just as he did for Joseph. Trust him that he loves you. He may be in the process of breaking you, which is because he has great plans for you. Next point here. As we yield, God's favor begins to permeate our circumstances. As Joseph yielded to God, favor started returning to his life. This time, favor had nothing to do with who his mother was. It had nothing to do, it wasn't because he, wasn't, he was a bright kid with a cool coat, okay? It wasn't because of his lineage. It had to do with God and his presence, and that's the most important kind of favor. As we yield to God, his favor, the most important kind, it's real favor. It, it, it can't be faked or bought. It's solid. It can be trusted. It's miraculous, and it starts permeating, started permeating his circumstances. Joseph had success in everything he did. Why? Because God was truly invited into Joseph's life. God became his king. Joseph yielded to God. He humbled himself and depended on God. Joseph was beginning to see a measure of God's favor that he had never seen before because he was being broken. And so God was blessing Joseph, giving Joseph insight into whatever tasks Potiphar had for him. That principle that Jesus taught You were faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. It was being lived out in Joseph's life right there. And here's what's interesting about what happened. God's favor didn't stop with Joseph. It extended to Potiphar because of Joseph. The Lord blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. I want to make make one more observation before bringing this to a close. Look on the screen. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Now, this is crazy cool because the Egyptians didn't know God. They worshiped idols and false gods. They even worshiped Pharaoh at times. They had no knowledge of the one true God. But in spite of that reality that was deeply embedded in their culture and in their lives, Potiphar took notice and became aware of God because of how Joseph lived. 
And when we allow God to break us and his favor to permeate our circumstances, next point here, God's presence in our lives becomes recognizable. Potiphar didn't see that a God or some gods were with Joseph. He didn't see that Joseph was just a lucky guy or had good skills or good karma. The stars were in his favor. He saw that the Lord, whom he didn't know at all, was with him. And what a revelation of the power of a submitted and surrendered life. That the knowledge and presence of God can now be recognized by a complete pagan who worshiped other gods. That's the life I want. Where the unbelieving world can see God's favor and blessing on my life and what I do. Because of my brokenness. Not just that, but as the account goes, God's favor poured out into Potiphar's entire household because of Joseph. God's presence in our lives should bring blessing to the unbelieving world around us. The measure of God's presence and favor in our lives directly affects the culture around us. It affects our witness. There's an overflow that spills into this world, but brokenness is the key. In the same way, what does the ugliness of pride do to our influence in this world. At the least, it makes our influence and our attractiveness ineffective. At the worst, it destroys it. When we live in pride, when we live in woundedness, when we live in shame or denial or bitterness of heart and soul, it cuts off God's visible blessing to the unbelieving world around us. When we look just like the world, imprisoned by our own poisoned hearts, what do they see in us that they would ever hunger for? God's power is stopped short. God's blessing doesn't spill over. God's presence isn't recognized. If we want to impact this world and have a part in fulfilling the great commission that Jesus has called every single one of us to, we need God's presence. We need his favor. The unbelieving world needs us to be broken That's what God was doing with Joseph. As Joseph yielded to God, a new thing was happening. The world around him was being changed. Joseph was being blessed. So was Potiphar. Beauty was beginning to rise out of the ashes. The redeeming power of God was truly at work on all levels. God was giving Joseph a taste of what was to come as he learned to walk in brokenness before him and before those around him. How many want that kind of a faith that's that solid? Not shallow, not trendy, but real and deep and full of substance. The next time you're tempted to say, where the H dot 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 is God, remember this story. Let God strip your pride. Don't let the enemy strip your faith. And as we close, just to fill in those last blanks here, takeaways. Invite the real God to walk with you, not the God of your imagination. Not the God that you want. We all have like, oh, I want to believe. I like this Jesus part of Jesus and this part of Jesus and, and this part of Jesus. And, and you, know, you know, I don't like that part. No, invite the real God into your life to walk with you. Next, trust God and patiently let him work. He is working behind the scenes on your behalf. We sang about it this morning. 
He's working behind the scenes on your behalf. And last, ask God to bless others because he favors you. Don't give in to the temptation to live a self-absorbed Christian life because there is no such thing. Jesus was not self-absorbed and neither should we be. Hey, thanks again for joining us. If you have been blessed by Rise Church, be sure to follow us and share it on your social media. You can subscribe to a podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to give yet, you can do so at risechurchid.org or send a text message with a cash amount to the number 84321. And remember that the mission field is all around you. So go in the power of Jesus and bring that transformation for his glory.